1: I
2: see the moon The moon sees me
1: Down the leaves of the old,
0: old tree The vehicle's not safe
3: We need to fail We need to fail down here so we don't fail up there Please let the light that shines on me Neil Everyone's in agreement we'd like you to command Shine on
2: one welcome to the film board from the next reel on rashpixel.fM we spoil movies and on tonight's show each one of our gang of thugs tried to be first in line to see first man in our local theaters and right here right now we're going to be the first to spoil it for you well other than the fact that it's a movie about something that happened in real life so you may already know the story, I I thought I knew the story But there was so much more detail in this thing That we just saw It gets into about Neil Armstrong And the winding difficult path That led him to lead our moonshot Let's introduce our hosts So that we can launch into this Say hello,
4: Steve Sarmento In space, no one can hear you Mourn the death of your child
3: Aww Oh my god Wow
2: (laughs) Wow Out of the gates That
3: is phenomenal (laughs) Okay
0: so that's Steve Sarmiento, everyone. How about you, Pete Wright? Buzz Aldrin? I'm <laughs> like, Buzz Kill, am I right? Huh? Nice. I'm nice. with you
2: on that. And I like where this is going. Hello, Tommy Handsome. Yeah,
3: a spaceship can't undress a
2: boy. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Folks, that's from Child 44, an old episode you will not, you haven't listened to and will not go back to. But I'm not a creep. That's a callback. <laughs> all right.
2: We are going to have to record a drop that inserts that whenever a Child 44 reference is made on this show. You folks out there can call me JJ. And before we get started, you should go learn all the good stuff about this show and the Next Real extended family of podcasts at thenextreel.com. There are cool ways to join us and our community of film fun there. So come on in because we want to continue the conversation with you. And let's
3: start that conversation off with your first thoughts about First Man from our first man, Tommy Handsome. I have a feeling I mean, judged on critical reception, this film is pretty beloved, I guess, just to keep it really short up top. For me, a few incredibly well filmed and gripping sequences does not make up for a majority of what I thought was Lifeless, very cold emotion. I think it's inherent. It's tough because Neil Armstrong, apparently, by definition, is one of the most reserved people I've ever seen. And under actor uh, extraordinaire um, Ryan Gosling, as a result, is the perfect person to play him. But that doesn't mean that it's gripping for me. Uh, I just, I. Had a lot of trouble with
2: it. Well, I think that's fair, and I think it's good that you have uh, such a strong take on it because I think, uh, like you said, with the critical response to this right now, there's a lot of balancing that I think might need to go, uh, that might need to go on as we talk about how we received it as well. So, uh, your first thoughts, Pete? What did you think?
0: Insofar as I try to do, I try my hardest to make every opinion that comes out of my mouth one that agrees with tommy i i have to i have to part ways here and and in fact i feel quite strongly (laughs) the other way i i deeply enjoyed my time with this movie i thought ryan gosling was perfect and uh i i think his uh his performance and and the way the family performed sort of grief uh and the intensity with which chazelle put us inside the family and inside the tip of this rocket and inside the suits i i, I think he made some incredibly good choices and uh, you know i saw it with my 12 year old and my 16 year old and i can say they were equally gripped they walked out feeling great about this movie and it gave us a ton really? to talk about yeah so i'm i'm very enthusiastic about wow, this movie that's and great. it was a two hour and 20 minute uh, awesome ride for us. That's
2: interesting because your twelve-year-old might need to see it again in high school in history class. Anyway, uh, uh, that but I think that's interesting too, and I'm glad we have some balance in uh, our ranks as well. Steve, what did you think of it?
4: The challenge of going to a movie like this is that I have seen multiple times Apollo 13 and the right stuff, so this is all information that I'm you know familiar with. So for me, I am looking for are you telling me something new? What is the reason for telling this story from Neil Armstrong's point of view? So I'm looking for something interesting with this character because, as you said, this is something that happened in real life. Everybody knows how it ends. So what is what is pulling me through? And unfortunately for me, there was nothing pulling me through this movie. It was, well, this happened, this happened, this happened, and this happened. There wasn't a lot of this happened because this needed to happen or this has to happen because this is happening. I just felt really disconnected. It was, I agree with Tommy, this is a very cold film. I felt, you know, at moments there were, there were, I don't want to say theft or stealing from, but I could see influences from, you know, Stanley Kubrick, which again, a very cold filmmaker, Uh, but also, and I hate to say this, there were, there were moments that felt like with the family, he was trying to steal things from Terrence Malick's tree of life and it just didn't fit in to this movie. and it, it felt like multiple things going on that didn't really connect together for me emotionally. And when there's a story about a family, I, I felt like there were so many barriers between the audience and these characters that I just couldn't connect there was no emotional resolution in the story for me
3: I love what Steve just said because while I was watching it I had just rewatched the tree of life by Terrence Malick and I just completely randomly and uh, I did I agree with Steve I see some of the things that maybe he was trying to do in my mind he didn't get there I agree let me just say for the
0: record one does not randomly watch tree of life
3: (laughs) (laughs) oh you no, it was on TNT and I just popped it off. <laughs> it's like Shawshank Redemption. Once yes. you start, you're gonna there goes the afternoon. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate all
2: your guys takes for me. It was a it was intensely dramatic. I felt that the film was intensely dramatic, but told in really uh, questionable chunks is kind of how I felt about it. I, I I did it did bring me along for the ride in some places I found I actually had to check my heartbeat a couple times, but because a lot of the ways that the film was edited, it made me it made me well I was seemingly just sitting there watching in silence through some really interesting points of the movie, I noticed that my heart was kind of racing with it. So I think as a film, I think it's really interesting because there are a lot of really fantastically filmed segments and sequences that I think uh, are worthy of discussion that we'll talk about. But I also had a lot of uh, questions or or problems with some of those things as well. And I bring up the high school reference for you, Pete, because I, uh, what I'm going to struggle to do with this movie, I, I think it's a good movie. I think it's, it's an interesting movie, but I'm going to struggle to re- recommend it for anyone because I really feel like it's one of those movies that I watched in high school and had value to my high school history teacher far more than it did for me as an audience member. Um, so it's the kind of it's kind of a weird place for me in that because I admire a lot of of what it did, but I don't know that it's a terribly enjoyable film. I, one place that I want to go with it. Uh, is is talking about uh, the story because that's that's one thing that it, you know it it is it is a ride. And Pete, you mentioned it's two hours and twenty minutes long. For me, the only thing that really was a new or that was a particular story element where the book ends about it's his daughter Karen that was brought up the big end uh, as he you know let's spoil it right away that of what Neil took to to the moon, which I believe is new information. Right, that's not something that's been widely reported in the past. It's definitely not something I knew about the moon story that Neil Armstrong brought something up for Karen
0: well I didn't know but I haven't read the book that this is based on there you go as well
2: so but other than that there didn't really seem to be any sort of story arc to what was going on it felt and I know it's a biopic it's you know it's this kind of thing that's just kind of recounting history but it didn't feel like there was any sort of momentum to the story so tell me more about your experience and having your kids there and and what was the real sort of ride that you were on if you can describe that as you were watching it uh, what was the dramatic aspect of the story for you as it grew in intensity.
0: Well, you know, I think the dramatic. Uh, there, there. Were, you're sort of following these parallel stories. One, because the film opens with such an intense flight sequence, right? And and I, I adore this sequence. I thought it was an incredibly energetic way to get us into the film uh, on this X-15. Uh, a test flight that he was doing mm. when he bounced mm-hmm. off the atmosphere and and I also really appreciate the choices they made you know we start to get a sense of the flavor of the how they're going to use the camera what what is the voice that they're going to use to to place us in and around this equipment all of these other films that that I think you guys have already mentioned these other space films um uh, really capture well in in most cases, not as well in others but but generally capture the 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 grandeur and the romance. Uh, Even when they're intense, right? I mean, you get a a lot of the, um, you know, a a lot of the glory of the space travel and solving space problems, but you don't get a lot of the just fear, a lot of the pulse pounding, uh, you know, beads of sweat on the face. Uh, POV of actually being in that, in that experience. And I think that's what we get right out of the gate with this test flight is we're in the cockpit with him. We don't even know who it is, uh, that we're with. We're so close to him. We can't see his face. We don't get a full shot of the craft until it's on the ground. Um, and and I thought that was a, a fantastic way to get us into the voice of the film. Then we go in, into this family drama. We, we totally change gears and we experience them trying to solve the problem of his daughter's cancer. And we have him, the engineer, drawing all these these diagrams and keeping all of these books and, and on the phone and trying to solve this problem. So now we have these two parallel narratives that I think actually do define a narrative arc for both the family and we are in their family and sort of watching the the evolution of their grief together uh, through the Very last shot of the film, which I think is magnificent, and uh, also how that channels into his experience uh, at at NASA, how he uses NASA as a a way to to sort of escape and explore the grief that he's been experiencing in his family. So um, I, I actually felt like that was all really clear.
2: Yeah. And I get and I actually agree with you on the points that you brought up. For me, objectively, that felt like the first half hour in the last five minutes of the film. So that that's the hard part for me is that it didn't carry me through through the other segments that I felt were much more. I mean, in the word that I used to describe it, I've talked to it to about this movie to a couple of people thus far. And, and they asked me, well, what's the movie like? And for me, it felt really sterile. It felt really like it was just. Uh, you, you know they, they were spending a lot of time on things that were just trying to tell us what happened as opposed to the dramatic aspects of uh, of of what could be in a film here
0: how, how much of that though JJ is just maybe not liking Ryan Gosling could that be part of it because I really <laughs> watched that guy and I feel like that grief was on his face in every single scene and when we have these spikes in the narrative spikes like when he abandons his wife at a party because he just can't handle the grief of, of seeing the phantom child his phantom child Playing with the other kids, like that wasn't in the last five minutes. That wasn't in the first half hour. That's a that is a narrative point right in the middle of the film. And I just don't think you're giving it credit for those moments. I feel like you're you might have, have uh, escaped those because of opinions about Gosling or, or you know other issues. I, I, I think they're
2: there. I guess that could be, but I, I definitely did not see the grief on Gosling's face in those moments.
0: Yeah, I, I did. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I really mean, let's did. go
2: straight. Let's go yeah. straight to Gosling if you want to bring him up, because I mean, if Neil Armstrong is this stoic character, which Tommy you brought up in in your initial thoughts here, if he is that, then Ryan Gosling is the perfect cast for this person. But yeah. if, but what the point that you're making, Pete, is that you sensed his grief about his child as he was coping with it through the film, whereas there were so there was a lot of darkness and grief that befell this entire group. And I think that's really the message of how difficult the astronauts journey was to get to this achievement. Um, And I didn't get any of that from Ryan Gosling. So I think your question is warranted. I unless Neil was really as stoic as Ryan Gosling plays in most of the movies that he's in, then I didn't see it. Uh, Tommy, what you mentioned that about Ryan Gosling? How did you feel about that? What do you know about Neil Armstrong and and the cast here?
3: Well, Neil and I, no, I, don't, <laughs> um, I know very little about Neil Armstrong. I think what I do know is that he was a Boy Scout, uh, it's sort of through and through. And yes, that means Ryan Gosling, I guess, is the perfect one to play him. But Ryan Gosling's kind of playing Neil Armstrong then in a lot of films. I feel like he's. I think he's actually maybe a replicant. Uh, after <laughs> after he was in that one movie, that's my Blade favorite runner. movie that he's in. Yeah, <laughs> his some some of his. I mean, he's so he and Tom Hardy both are sort of interesting masters of underplaying things. Tom Hardy though captures my eye for some reason. Ryan Gosling, I can't even tell if he's acting sometimes, to the point that I understand. I mean it can be dramatic to watch someone uh here over the phone that three of his uh coworkers and friends just died in a horrific way uh and you don't see it on his face and then then he has to i, I guess what i'm saying is the the screenplay has to go out of its way to make you feel what he's feeling because he gives nothing and then he breaks the glass He gives nothing when he sees, in my opinion, Pete, almost nothing when he sees his phantom child and they make him storm out of a party. I guess I'm just a
0: Gosling fan because I see everything you say you didn't see. But he's not
3: changing his facial expression. (laughs) Like the only time he changes his facial expression is in really big scenes of like when he really does break down
2: what's the meme the meme that goes around of that that Ryan Gosling will not eat his cereal or something like that and they have and they have like constantly they yeah, show scenes to push, of Ryan Gosling cereal
0: in his mouth and yeah. trying to put
2: something in his mouth and he just will turn away with no change in his expression sorry <laughs> that, I, I I think I think potentially he's a polarizing actor for this reason that it, it, you know I and that's why I think Pete your question does have merit I I don't know I, I would assume that I'm a 5050 person on Ryan Gosling and I think that when it fits it works for me but this stuff I really. Uh, well, wait. There is a scene where he breaks down.
3: Yes. one. Yeah, it's the same as it's the same as in Blade Runner. It's the same as in Drive. It's there's this interesting thing revolving around Ryan Gosling where he's given one to two really big scenes of breaking. He does it incredibly well, but it's almost like that gives him. Credit or the uh, the affordability to then play the rest on what I feel is almost autopilot. I'm sure I'm wrong because he's a very respected uh, and highly sought after actor. But I also wonder if maybe some directors like him because he's such a blank canvas. I, I'm absolutely sure that's true because so much of his performance is,
0: is in – it's so subtle and so nuanced and it is uh, – it, it's, it, you know, it's like rice. It takes on the flavor of what's around <laughs> it, right? So if you're mm. already not in the movie, you're not going to feel for his performance. I think that's a really uh, – you know, I, I feel like that's a rational uh, explanation for Ryan Gosling. Like if you like the movie, you are more likely to like him. If you don't sure. – if. You know, I just feel like there is a lot of context that comes into a Gosling performance.
2: Steve, what, Steve, what's your favorite Ryan Gosling movie?
4: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I have a favorite Ryan Gosling movie, but I will oh, I will say I we know
2: what camp you're in.
4: Then. <laughs> no, I do. I do <laughs> enjoy him. And I I will say, like, crazy, stupid love. I love that movie. He does. I find him very entertaining in that. This one, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Pete, and I was. I was invested from the beginning. I agree. Great opening. And then the issue with the daughter. And then about halfway through this movie, I thought, oh my gosh, this guy has to feel cursed. Everybody around him is dying in this quest to get to the moon. And so I can see why he's he's closing himself off. Why when he leaves the party, he doesn't want to deal with anybody. He's like, look, would I, would I have left the party if I wanted to talk to anybody? No. He is a person that's... It, it, I am assuming is an introvert that he needs to deal with his stuff on his own. And so I am fine with that. I think that that carries through and I can buy that to me. It's not a weakness in the film. What is an issue is that with every other film, there's some type of payoff of is there a release? Because the message I get from this movie is, well, if you're if you're emotionally distant from your wife, just go to the moon and that will fix everything there was no oh, payoff no. to that for me he was res- <laughs> he resolved whatever his grief was with his daughter and so then it's like he comes back and his wife's like oh everything's okay you know you know that that didn't fix it i didn't get the sense of what he was working through to get to that point. And that's where I felt the distance became a barrier that prevented me from taking that journey with him. I am fine with him being stoic. He's got to get this job done. There's a lot of bad stuff happening around him, and he's hoping, praying to survive through this. And so when his wife chews him out for not wanting to talk to the boys, I can understand that he doesn't want to open himself up to all this pain he's carrying around. To me, that's not the issue. It's the the journey, the arc that he's supposed to take. I never get let in on that. You know, I'm when he shows up with that bracelet on the moon, I'm, I'm surprised. It, it, it took me so far out of the movie because I didn't know, because in minute 15 or whatever, he puts it in a drawer. We don't see it. I don't know that he's still working through that. I know he's feeling haunted because he sees her at the party, but I have no sense of that. He's found a personal resolution and he's going to take that to the moon with him because he hears buzz aldrin's taking some of his wife's jewelry. there there's nothing to let me in to his thought process of this this is what i need to do this is going to help me have some closure with this it's just he's there he chunks it into the crater and we're done and i'm like
3: he he chunks it into the crater i like how you're right it's like you're robbing it of everything because i i don't know what that meant for
4: him
2: Sure. Well, sure. And I, I, I do want to give the film credit for something in, in, in response to what you're saying there, Steve. And that's that the, they, they are making choices in making this film to tell the story in certain ways. And there is a lot of show and not tell. And I think that the thing that I admire about Pete's point here is that he was along for the ride for all of those intense, which we saw as, you know, Ryan Gosling not really being intense. But when he's dealing with his grief, he's still relating to those earlier complicating incidents. And Chazelle doesn't or and the screenwriters in this case, too, don't necessarily need to tell us that that's what he's dealing with for Pete. But the rest of us and I mean, my piece about it was that I didn't get there wasn't a story there for me. Everything that was happening in the middle was really just historical nature. And so what I want to do really is to talk about the way they told the stories in those points, you know, because I think we disagree on the way that they were dealing with grief or they deal with the sort of emotional storyline that they were doing. So if we talk about the specific things that were happening in those other parts of the film, not the first half hour, not the end five minutes, but we talk about all the test flights they have, all the different stresses that the astronauts are going through, you know, we can really talk about the way that they use the camera to tell the story here, and, and what I'm trying to get to specifically is how much darn shaking there is in this movie. Everywhere. <laughs> um, did anyone wow. have rumble seats in their theater?
4: <laughs> that would have been a nightmare. So- <laughs> So when we're in the control room and we got shaky cam in the control room, your seats were rumbling? Yeah, exactly. No, but oh, I, the, the point
2: being is that uh, I, I wanted to, to to bring up the point that they used the camera in really interesting ways to tell the story through this movie. And usually I'm, I'm in great appreciation of that. But particularly some of the shaky stuff when they were in the really tight quarters of the capsules, whether they're in test flights or in launches, uh, focused on a lot of the pieces of the equipment and were shaky through them for what seemed to be an inordinate time amount of time to me did that bother anyone else
3: i personally loved it uh i thought that i mean i thought that it when i when i said in my opening uh that a bunch of really sort of incredible sequences versus for me the rest of the film i thought all of the flying stuff uh including i mean especially the why are is it not pronounced Gemini?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> that, you know, that is, a, that, that is actually an interesting thing yes. that, uh, you know, I was watching some uh, making of material on this. And they one of the British uh, folks noted that at the time he asked the question of Damien Giselle. And at the time, there was a large contingent of the population that actually pronounced it Gemini. And, <laughs> including uh, and so it is, it is historically accurate pronunciation.
3: Wow. I 100% assumed that it was historically accurate. It's it be, was just right? so weird. Uh, but so, but the especially, I thought the movie peaked personally during that uh, first Gemini uh, Eight. Was it? Yes. With the Gemini the Eight, when he went up. I mean, that was yes, yes. That was all of that entire part of the movie is, I think, just an absolute classic. Uh, that I, and it made me feel space flight and the terror to your point, definitely Pete, the terror and the out of controlness of, and, and it's, I mean, the tininess of it. I mean, when they go in there and to have to walk into that capsule in POV, like you said, Pete, I mean, that thing is a tomb. And I just thought that was breathtakingly incredible. I loved all of that. For me, it was the shakiness of, And the overly close up stuff of stuff down on the ground that I found personally distasteful. But I know we're not talking about that yet, but I loved I loved half of the uh, cinematography. I love what they did in the capsules.
0: Well, and, and I just want to comment on that because I think we have to take those at the same at the same place. Um, okay you know for me walking into you're you're absolutely right walking into the capsule and and getting harnessed in trust in all those close ups of of the pipe fittings and all those and the things screwing the door closed you know especially when we hit apollo one uh, when that becomes such a a horrific Ugh. experience, right? Oh, Which yeah, I yeah. thought was handled well, given the tragedy. Yeah. Uh, then, uh Then we go home and we have the same sort of compression. The camera gives us the same sort of emotional fear and compression of his experience as, and I'm going to use um, uh, the words, uh, Gosling actually says in his research on Armstrong that he was a crushing introvert. Like he was, he was, oh, he really okay. struggled with his own introversion. And so, uh, you know, It was one of those things where it feels like any request and we see more and more of that as the as that family narrative moves on to the big uh, blow up when Claire Foy or Janet comes in and and blows up in his office that, uh, you know, all of his experience in his family. Mirrors his experience in that capsule. It all looks like that. And to me, that parallel was so powerful. Uh, And the resolution of that fight at home that it ends in a board meeting with his kids, I thought was so true to now what I know of this Neil Armstrong, that this is how this guy's going to handle it. Any other questions? Uh, I, you right. know, I thought that was really strong and, and tragic, right? I mm. mean, strong and tragic,
3: but, but it's not just him. I mean, maybe part of it is just part of me doesn't maybe like Neil Armstrong <laughs> that much, <laughs> as far as a way of me being able to connect to another person. I mean, for me, uh, the idea of how he treats his family, how he treats his wife, how he handles certain situations is fairly distasteful on in, uh, it's still filmed that way. I would have liked some feeling more of a difference when there's film back at home, uh, when it's filmed, when he's not there, when he's up in the space and we're down in the rocket control or whatever that's called. I mean, it's pretty consistent. Everyone is filmed this way. It doesn't feel like it's for a lot of time. It's his crushing introvertedness. It's everything. The entire movie is too close for me, Um, so I'm not exactly sure if I can. I love that idea but I'm not sure but maybe it would have been just too jarring to then yes. let the film breathe a little bit. I'm not okay. sure. But I like thank you for bringing that up. That's a really interesting point.
4: So so Pete my question would be then and I and I I hear what you're saying and I can I can go along with that. And I for this is his story. So this is his sort of perspective on this and I like that idea uh, because we do see several times where he wants out of that house. I mean, he's a guy that's that's a loner and even as you're saying that i'm i'm thinking even at the end of the film the only way he can connect with his wife is still there's a barrier between them he that he is not somebody that wants people close with him so then my question is why what is what is the reason to tell his story this way what am i supposed to get other than what i feel that i got which was an education on some information about you know nasa and how we got to the moon if it was about details, I wanted more technical stuff. If it was about the impact it had on Neil, I I still don't uh, buy the resolution. What what was I supposed to learn about Neil? What did he learn about himself? What is his journey, his arc? Can you can you flesh that out for me of what going to the moon did for him? He's still an introvert. What what is
0: yeah? Let, let's be clear. Probably not to your satisfaction. Okay, no, that's that's <laughs> your feeling about the movie. So
4: maybe you can bring me. Yeah. In, on board but what what did you feel was if if this is a story to be told why does it need to be told what do we as an audience what are we supposed to take away from this what are we supposed to get about neil armstrong in this
0: well i i think there are a couple of places that where that comes into focus for me and the first one is in his uh when he is trying out for the job uh and he goes into the interview and they ask him why should we explore space and his his answer is not the is not the answer you would expect of a of, of a hardcore engineer introvert, right? His answer is one of an explorer and an artist. It's somebody who who sees sort of more the empathetic uh, or the empathic nature of of uh, exploration, right? It's it's I I think we need to. You know, when we've been in space, we get a different perspective and we are constantly as humanity. We should always be searching for new perspectives because in this case, maybe we're going to see something that we should have seen a long time ago, but have only been able to now. And then when you tie that Uh, To the very last scene on the moon, which, first of all, I I love the way they handle him getting out of the spacecraft, right? Getting out of the spacecraft when he's fighting for me, he's fighting his instinct to, uh, you know, he's fighting what we have learned of him as the introvert uh to and the engineer. Like I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna get all the data. I'm gonna slowly but surely get all the data. And then we're gonna go to that side camera, which was, you know, where that camera was mounted, and we're gonna get that, that line. Um but then we end the the narrative of Karen on the moon, and and I don't, I absolutely don't see how you guys didn't see the Karen jewels coming. I that it floors me that I'm sitting there with my kids, and all three of us were like, "Yeah, we totally see that coming." In fact, we saw it coming from the press conference when Aldrin said, "Yeah, I'm going to take some jewels up there." Uh, we look at each other and like, "Well, that's where the Karen thing from the drawer is going to go. It's going to go on to the moon." Uh, it, it's, it felt so telegraphed and obvious that it was something we almost thought was too much, but that we actually use that to end the, the personal narrative, uh, on the moon, I think was a really nice bow to put on this particular story such that when he gets back and he has the barrier between not because he can't, he, he chooses to be there, not because he chooses to have a barrier down, but because he's in quarantine for a month that he actually, but. But the
4: storyteller could have had that happen after he gets out of quarantine. The reunited with his wife, a warm embrace with the family, to show him connected with his family. We could have had that same thing after quarantine. No, no, no.
0: You would not get the same experience. What you get in that last shot, and I think I wish we had a still of it because that last shot is so powerful. It's the the angle of the glass. It is so conscious of what you need to see in it. You see his face and her face and her face in his head looking back at, at him from the inside and it was the most it, it is the most amazing sort of rapper uh that that says you know to us it was it, it was the experience of hey this woman who has been behind you is is still with you and we're going to rebuild now that you're home from the moon this was a very difficult thing this starts a new chapter and all of these reflections and faces were incredibly powerful in that regard Clairefoy was amazing
2: in that scene she reported about eight eight or nine different emotions from the time that she walked in the door to the te- with just her eyes. I mean, I literally felt as though, as an audience member, that I was having a conversation with her, not knowing, but feeling the emotions from her. <laughs> of course, I had none of that from Ryan Gosling, but uh, I, I was. But that's why that was her moment. And I, I, Steve, I like what you're saying about the barrier. I think it's a good choice by the screenwriter to put it there, uh, because I think it, it, I think it actually connects with Pete's narrative here of what we're talking about about the introvert. That scene I like in particular for the way that you're bottling up the story. That's not that's not the sterile, you know, that's not the piece of the sterile parts of the film that were there. I was really happy with what we saw from Claire Foy in that moment.
0: I just love that she wasn't a NASA wife. In so many of these movies, you get NASA wives. And uh, in this movie, we have NASA uh, uh, one, NASA, uh, Wave uh, two, yeah, NASA, NASA, uh, uh, yeah. you know, and there were there were some of those uh, in this movie. But with Claire Foy's performance, we have a woman with agency and strength at home. And we see a complex uh, a, a woman dealing with some really complex emotions. And uh, the best scene for her, I mean, she's, she walks into the other room and is staring kind of out the, the window and her son comes in and taps her on the shoulder this is what's wrong she said nothing daddy's going to the, to the moon and he says uh okay can i play outside and yeah that, that is just could not I, have been more have yeah. perfect <laughs> yeah it was just great
2: so we jumped ahead a little bit to the acting i i don't think we should jump over damien chazelle so quickly um you know this is a really interesting movie for him considering what he's directed what's in his list um what do you think is behind the choice for him to make this and uh, i for me i i saw his fingers in it i saw the direction
3: for the for the listener do you want to talk about his filmography yeah well
2: specifically my favorite film that he's done is whiplash that was kind of a transformative movie for me about you know jazz music and um uh, and it was actually an oscar nominee in the year that i think birdman won is that right going back yes um correct. and then most recently, he was, uh, he's, he's well known for La La Land. Um, and that, and there was some connection I see here. I think Pete, you wrote that, uh, that he had already connected with Ryan Gosling about, uh, First Man before he began work on La La Land. So they've been working on this for a while. So, um, you know, this movie is, is, is definitely different than those, uh, in terms of, you know, the reasons for making it and what you're
0: trying to bring forth with this historical piece. What, things did you see well it's different in one key way jj and that and that is that no you know the protagonist does not enter a jazz club in the third act only to find a prominent figure from his past playing a piano on stage (laughs) uh so that's different from both of those prior movies which i think is worth noting i think they cut that scene pete
3: (laughs) but of course whiplash and this movie do uh do have in uh common of course uh someone willing to sacrifice Ah. even their own well-being and their health and everything in order to try sure. to be the That's absolute best. That's right. And and mine was mine something. was a joke and that so. is credit to Jack
0: Balligan on Letterboxd which yeah. <laughs> is uh, not even my joke I totally stole it. But yours is a really good point and I think that is uh, one of the ways JJ to your point that you see Damien Chazelle's fingers in this. He is a guy who is clearly has this if not uh, you know overtly on his mind clearly he's he's working through some things with the properties that he's working on.
2: Right. Yeah, and I and I, I hadn't thought of it that way. That makes sense. Uh and it's interesting that, you know, he and <laughs> I think Damien's
3: got some daddy issues. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's true. But what I was talking about more from a finger standpoint is really the artful yeah. nature of the film because in both those films, in Whiplash and La La Land, you see a lot of creative ways of storytelling that you might not see in other films. I know that, you know, the La La Land is, is famous for the goof uh, for best picture, you know, uh, being announced previous to moonlight in it's Oscar run. But in both cases, they were both nominated for best picture and they both were really powerhouses of art in that they were still delivering a real sort of quality piece of, of film. And I think that this movie is somewhat that way too. And I saw that in this movie, I saw choices that Chazelle was making about the way he wanted to tell the story that uh that were done in a more artful way i i liked that throughout the film even though some of those choices didn't always hit with me
4: yeah i i agree i think he's very talented there are some amazing sequences in this film Uh, as tommy brought up the whole gemini eight you know that to me is one of those classic sequences that everybody's going to remember of of that there there are some great moments to me that's one of the Pieces I could track with Neil of going back to the beginning of doubts about him from that first test flight bouncing off the atmosphere. It's like, you know, is, he, you know, is there something distracting him? And we, there's, there's questions about his, his capacity to really do this. And there's things that go wrong. We have that great sequence there. There are things that work really well. Uh, the shaky cam may have been too much in some places, but to me, it really put me in the room. Um, you know, emotionally, I may have I've been may have been distant, but I think in terms of a lot of the camera work, there were a lot of pieces that worked very well for me. A lot of the way fra- some shots were framed, I thought this works really well. To Pete's point, yes, I agree. That final shot, beautiful, does it work for the story? And I I wonder if there were there was some more work needed on the script. At least in my opinion, he did the best with what he was, you know, dealt with there. But I think. Visually, I think he did an amazing job of creating something that's very uh, in the moment. It didn't feel like a Hollywood, uh, you know, glossy version. It felt really gritty and brought me in there. And I think even those those close-ups of like rivets, things like that, really put me in the place there. Um, Physically, emotionally, I think there may have been some work needed on the script. And I I can't blame him for that. Uh, So, again, it's not my... You know, if I have to rank Damien Chazelle's work, this is not going to be the top of my list. But I think, again, he's showing something different. Uh, this is not a musical. Uh, his first two films, a lot of a lot of focus on music. There is music present in this film. Uh, but I see that he's sort of stretching his legs a little bit and venturing into some new territory. So I, I'm continuing to want to watch where he goes with his career because I think he's a very talented filmmaker and looking forward to where he goes next. For me, the stumble, I think, falls more to the script than to him.
2: Well, and now you bring up script. I I think that you and I are just going to have to agree to disagree on shaky rivets and their value. But (laughs) beyond that, uh, there's a difference, too. When we look at, you know, we say that this is a little bit different content wise. I like the through line that you're making, Tommy, about the, the nature of the stories in these films for Chazelle. But we look at. Josh singers background he's the he's a script writer here and this is very sort of well-trod terrain for him in terms of historical uh, screenplays in that he has written spotlight and the post and oh, was a writer oh. on the west wing so yeah I mean this is very 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 natural place for him to be in this realm um, uh, Pete you say that this uh, really felt like a Josh singer script to you
0: yeah I, I feel like the same way that I, I, I feel like the film has Damien Chiselle. Fingers on it. I think this feels like a Josh Singer script. He was also in the. He was a producer and in the writers' room for *Lie to Me* and *Fringe*, and uh, you know, you get almost even more of that sort of. Um, and *Law and Order*, I should add, is another one that's on his, in his catalog of, of work, and so you you get even more of that kind of procedural stuff that you get in the the NASA side of things, um, that non romantic kind of dirty procedural stuff in in things like uh, law and order and, and fringe um, and, and much more of the uh, of the the process the kind of cold you know when when coach taylor shows up every time coach taylor shows up uh, <laughs> you're going to get a little bit more of that cold uh, you know cold uh, <laughs> delivery and that cold sort of west wing uh, political vibe I, I i think i could i can kind of feel his pulse there so
3: i i you know i like it that's interesting that he is a TV guy because this film, for as long as it is, it is yeah. also cut to the quick. Right, like there's very little air and things. You show up right when the scene is starting yeah. and you leave yeah. as soon as it's over. <laughs> like I don't, I don't remember. Like a no, there's <laughs> no. there are no, like, no. like establishing shots. shots. shots? I feel like I was just, I was just thrown <laughs> into buildings. Right. Like, here's what you got to go. Now get out of here. And then I was thrown into <laughs> the thing of like, he's sad about his daughter. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it was like, here, you've got what you need. Move on. There's too much time. There's too much to go, which is, which is kind of refreshing. I could have personally used a little bit of air, but maybe that's just because I wasn't ready for. To to use your perfect word, Pete, is the crushing feeling of this entire movie. Everything. I felt like I was in the front row and I was not in the front row. I was in the middle of the theater. But the entire thing just sort of shoved me right in its face. Um, There's a really good chance. Well, no, I'll save that for the end. But I'm having good thoughts about this movie as we're going i'm feeling better about it
2: the one place where i felt they did they tried establishing shots and again this wasn't consistent with the rest of the film was when we first arrive at the moon um there is one shot that's kind of a long pan with that creates the moon's visible uh, it makes the moon visible as flat and it's a long pan with nothing in it except for the moon's surface in the lower third of the of the camera um i was very that was one of those choices that I didn't agree with because it, it didn't have to do with the story. If it were an establishing shot, it, a true establishing shot, then it would connect to the next thing that we're going to see. But the nature of the film was not one of establishing shots. It was that kind of slam you into the scene sort of thing. So when it showed up, I expected to see something that was connected to what we were doing. It was the arrival of the moon as a character in this story. And uh, it, choices like that, again, I while artistic and it, it was beautiful to look at on screen, it was those kinds of things were Those choices were, were very interesting to choose, but it didn't work in context of what I was watching for the story.
3: Huh. That is the first time, really, that yeah. the camera calmed yeah. down. Huh. Hmm. Almost as if by design, <laughs> Pete. <laughs> I might be coming your way a little bit. But um, one thing that I do remember sticking out so much about the moon sequence was uh, after that really... Really slow pan right. Then the front on, looking directly at his reflective um, visor, moon suit visor. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's called, called a moon, moon suit. Moon uh, This isn't a Marvel movie. It's freaking NASA. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Marvel, Pete. Um, the that what shocked me so much of that. What I found something really sort of took me aback, and it was because obviously he made the camera disappear in an in an impossible way, which has happened a lot before. But it was because I had been so conscious of the camera throughout the entire movie. There's no for me. There's no getting lost in this. There's a certain way of like handheld or jiggly camera that makes it seem a little bit more um, fly on the wall, a little bit more realistic. This was 1960s. Maybe this, I mean, for a lot of the shaky camera, not in the space scenes, but in the normal scenes was so aggressive. I was always just like, I'm watching a movie. I'm watching a movie. Uh, But then to have that sort of calmness was really that really stuck out for me because I that's the it's
4: the opposite for me, because I think the shaky cam puts me like a, a documentary right there in the living room or in the control room. And then I'm on the moon looking at Neil Armstrong. And then I am going to do this slow 360 pan that is from mm. whose point of view? Nobody. It's just a camera that's turning on the surface of the moon slowly <laughs> and coming back around. And I thought this isn't from Neil's point of view. If it had been Neil's point of view, it's I'm surveying this, which would make sense to me. But the fact that it starts on him and comes around to him, I'm like, what? What are we seeing? It's the camera showing us what he's seeing, but it's not because, as you point out, we're looking right into his visor and we're not seeing the camera. So who are we? This is Damien Chazelle telling us and showing us something. And it took me out of it because, again, it was so different from everything else. And I thought, why are you doing this? Again, you're not giving me insight into Neil, which I kept hoping for, but you're, you're showing me something calm. But why? And I'm still struggling to put all the pieces together to give me some sense of what does Damien Chazelle want me to know, understand and feel at the end of this movie. And I still don't know what it is.
3: Fair enough just because we're on that sequence did anyone else I'm sure it's just me I didn't know that you could lift up the reflective sort of oh. gold cover part and there's still more yes. helmet under that when he when he put his hands up and I was like Neil what are you doing oh got it he's just getting a different view like why would I think that like this movie was like and then he took off his helmet and that's how we learned that airs on no, the put movie he, I'm putting so the gold visor up is, my, is the equivalent
4: but, of putting your sunglasses on the top of your head and then he then he put it him totally back down is,
3: yeah and giving things like a little yeah. thumbs up but my heart raced out of my chest for three seconds then i was like oh my god i might be the opposite of an astronaut I'm so i actually
2: thought it was la la land for a second that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> we talked a little bit about some performances already. This film is littered with a lot of interesting character actors other than some of the people we talked about. Someone already brought up Coach Taylor. That's uh, Kyle Chandler from uh, Friday Night Lights. Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think his name should actually be Deke Slayton. <laughs> yeah. I know he's playing a character named Deek oh, Slayton, the- <laughs> but that person should be called Deke Slayton, Mr. Kyle Chandler, just so you know. Uh, I like seeing him. I think he's just entirely likable in everything he does. What are some of the other performances that you saw, some of those other character actors that showed up uh, that you may recognize but maybe not in their uh, period piece attire. Who did you like in this movie?
0: Well, i, I got to go back to Buzz Aldrin yes. uh yes. Corey Stoll oh, yeah. because I, I think he's, he sort of steals <laughs> the end of the, the movie. Uh, I, I think his character is super funny and uh, that he's missing that kind of frontal lobe thing that makes you <laughs> stop when you the words come to your mouth. It makes you say, hey, <laughs> I should right. not say this thing that I want to say right and he does it every he's scene like, he's in. He's like a four year old. There's
4: no internal filter. Right. Just thought comes across right out the mouth. Way to go, Buzz!
0: Exactly. <laughs> and and Buzz Aldrin is such a hero in the canon of NASA. Right? Yes. I mean, Buzz freaking Aldrin, and they suck all of that heroism out in this movie. And finally, totally. in the end of the movie, when he shakes his hand and they go- leave. He's a gentleman again. He's not a hero. He's not emasculated. He's just a gentleman. And I thought that was that was actually really nice. And I think Corey Stoll for for playing those kinds of characters. He is a guy that is firmly in his wheelhouse. And so I think he did a great job with this ultimately a a small part. But I think he did great. Well, and if. If you look at in history, if these guys, if, if these are
2: maybe caricatures of who what they're, what Neil and Buzz's personalities were really like, or if they're just uh, sort of expressions of it, they actually make a really good team because they complement each other. And I think that's expressed by that, the press conference where they're asked, you're going to go down in history. What does that mean for you if this is successful? And Neil chooses to answer, we expect this flight to be successful, right? In his introverted, you know, very stoic sort of thing. Great, and Buzz. Answer. For NASA,
3: <laughs> terrible answer for the press.
2: <laughs> for the world. So then immediately right. Buzz steps in and then answers, well, let me tell you what I feel about, you know, hist- history and legend. Like, it's interesting that he's a foil and played in the negative in most of the movie. And I really appreciate you bringing up, Pete, the fact that they redeem his character in the way that probably is appropriate for this mission in our history and that they probably were a fantastic team as they went through all these different astro- astronauts as they're living and dying and struggling and aiming to be this person they chose a really great pair to send up there together to make this happen um and i i think the way that those two actors played that off if it's accurate it was See, perfect.
4: i i struggle with that because to me i and i guess it's again i'm thinking about other movies and i think about Apollo 13, where Gary Sinise gets sick and it's like this totally could jeopardize the mission because this team, they need to anticipate each other's moves. They've got to be in each other's heads. They've got to have this ultimate trust. And when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin get in there, I'm like, these are two guys that just barely tolerate each other and they are going to be shooting off on this rocket to the moon. And what I have in the story is these guys don't really care for each other and there's a huge gap between them versus... Apollo 13 creating this cohesive team that can function and read each other's minds. And here it's just two guys in a big metal can go into the moon. I hope they can make it because I don't know that these guys even trust each other. For me, it it made it really difficult for me to know what's the reality of... I've got two different films telling me, two different stories about what it takes to have a successful mission. Is it that... Just these two guys, their their own individual expertise and their differences, you can still have a successful mission, or is it they really need to be dependent on each other? And it's two different stories, two different messages. And I guess again, it comes back to S-
2: source material.
4: I don't have it. I mean, yeah, source this, material this movie and, and is what from am I supposed to
2: learn about Neil yeah. Armstrong? So this is Neil Armstrong's story Apollo 13. Which is, uh,
0: well, also highly technical.
2: Right. And exactly. Right. So, of course, it's from that side. And then now Apollo 13 was Jim Lovell's account. So that's where you go there. And then if you go back, I don't remember much about the right stuff, but, you know, they all come from different sources. That's based on the book that of Tom Wolfe, you know, this historical account of this kind of thing. So I think it's good to bring up. But I think if we look at, you know, all of these astronauts have a story to tell. I think it'll be interesting when we see another perspective but, of what again, it takes to make
0: a good so team. So much of this movie is about t- removing the romance and the aspirational part of, yeah, of the work. Sure. And and this sure. in this movie, the Neil these Armstrong guys, story. sit, or, they go home and they feed their kids and maybe they spend some time with their wives and then they go to work and when they go to work, it's a job and it's not glory glorified and uh, to me, I watch this and I watch these guys having to work together because individually they are exceptional in some area uh, or areas and then they're thrust together as a team and they have to just figure it out. It may be aspirational in Apollo 13 to say, oh, these guys have to anticipate all their options, but also it's a job and they go to work and I think what Chazelle is trying to showcase here is it's not like that. Like It's like you go to work at your office some people are on your team and your boss says you really need to work it out and be a great anticipate everybody's needs and good to great and rah 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 but you know what it's a job and some people are just not cool and you have to figure out how to work (laughs) with them too i get that out of this movie and i really love it again sucking the romance out of this and just saying why it's distilling the reason we go to the moon and i think uh, we have a, a couple of these awesome moments that punctuate this that that demonstrate why this movie exists why the, even the cold introverted engineer says we should go to the moon it's worth it there is value in, in human cost
4: so does it show us that
0: yes does it show yes. us yes around the every turn it shows us this. oh no, steve it doesn't. see it it again. shows neil can reconcile him
4: with his wife what 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 do we see differently? What do we as Americans see differently? What do what what does Neil see differently? He's he, he's purged of the grief of the death of his daughter. I don't see that he sees his family, his coworkers, anything differently than before. Anything he left. I say here is repeating he's what now, I've bo- said before.
0: I, I can't make the case any better, Steve. I, I honestly I can't. I'm I'm. It's not. Yeah, I've got nothing okay. else. All right.
2: One other way that they told the story really well in this movie was through music. Um, I was super happy with all of the music cues throughout this movie is, it, well, I shouldn't say all, cause I'm going to actually bring up ones that I didn't like, but, uh, in particular when they got into space and they had the last, uh, the last piece of the rocket, uh, break off or go away you had a sort of wall of sound moment that was potentially for me which this is going to sound odd considering the story points we brought up but potentially was one of the most emotional points of the film for me is taking that time and music and adding it there in general uh in the way that we talked about chazelle and uh and the camera you know we're going to get to cinematography as well but telling part of the story i think they used music in this movie to tell the story in a way that rivals some of the filmmakers we were talking about before um really in a good way now that being said also as it swelled and got more and more intense to the moon landing i kept reminding myself that there was no music when neil and buzz were landing on the moon um what musical moment moments did you guys notice when you were watching this movie
0: Anywhere that there was a theremin. What is that? I don't know what that
3: is. <laughs> it's a weird, it's an instrument that doesn't physically exist. It doesn't. It's
0: like an energy. Uh, it's like a, you are, you're interacting with the, with, with essentially, I think an electrical wave that generates a tone. Yeah. And it is the, the Star Trek. Original motion picture yeah. theme that was a theremin, and uh, and and in fact, the the theremin is featured in the song that Buzz or, or that uh, uh, Neil and his wife danced to, and so that made and it wasn't that called A Walk on yeah, the Moon? Was it yeah, the, like the name of that and, song? And so the the theremin is actually used in uh, Justin Hurwitz went back and and incorporated into some of the major themes, and I thought it was really nice, yeah. I love it. I, I will say, as I said, I, I think I said in my you know,
4: first comments, the uh, there's sort of a Kubrickian moment when they're when they're docking on the the Gemini 8 mission and they're they're docking and we've got we've got that music playing it to me it worked well there it was sort of a a, a callback to a, a reaching toward 2001 where we've got ships sort of floating in space and we've got you know classical music playing that worked really well for me it was one thing where i said yeah yes this feels right this feels good i am enjoying this so that's that's one that i thought uh stood out for me as a memorable moment well and i think all of us
2: mentioned in our initial comments that there were some really beautifully filmed sequences in here we should actually call out the cinematographer the dp uh linus sandgren uh making his impact felt in this movie i felt that there was really artful storytelling done here there were camera tricks that were being used that 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 I loved because it actually made me feel like I was flipping over directions in the in the theater when really they could have been just spinning the camera. There were were some things that I was confused about, though. Um, Did you guys know what was archival footage and what was actually shot to make look like archival footage? Could you tell in what you
3: saw? I can only tell at times because of the quality of the film. Uh, which was also difficult because he seemingly used a lot of different he did different film, uh, stock, film yeah. stock throughout it, it definitely changes it went but some of the um actual space stuff it just didn't look it you could see the crackles and the little I don't know what they're called but like were like there's scratches
2: Yeah, in the film, one shot in particular, I was really frustrated with, and it might be just because it's archival. It's tough to know. But when the launch to the moon takes off and they start with the wide shot of just the smoke and then the camera searches for it up. And then it catches a bit of the rocket, but then it holds there and starts panning and then it repeats, then moves up and it does that twice or three times. And it's, it's, it's a flub, right? It's a mistake. It's, it's something with a camera that's likely locked off and, and, and then having to adjust after the the rocket is adjusting its movement that i mean if it's a choice to make it look that's a really weird thing i couldn't tell whether that was old footage or whether that
0: was real did you, do you guys know i don't think know? any of that is archival i think every everything wow. in the uh everything that was shot the, the in that the actual capsule, launch stuff
3: yeah yeah that right.
0: was all miniature stuff and and if you watch the behind the scenes i mean you can see how they did it they have this giant three story uh like lcd screen this wraparound screen okay. so it's all is shot In camera and the backgrounds are earth, you know, like the NASA earth and it's the clouds and it's, you know, skyscape and cityscape for the rockets, even though. And they put the rocket in front of this giant screen. It's it's fantastic how they did it, Um, uh, you know. But then I really don't like that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That mistake really bothers me from a camera perspective, because there's no reason to. I mean, unless you're trying to make it look amateur. I think they were. I think he was absolutely
3: trying to make it look amateur because if you see, well, but there is definitely a precedent. I mean, ever since I'm sure way earlier than this, but the TV show Battlestar Galactica, the idea of taking using cameras and using their fallibility in a completely controlled environment. There was no space. There were no cameras in Battlestar Galactica, the TV show, but it would constantly be trying to catch up to things. Like a snap zoom and then miss it and then go. And if you watch a lot of early TV footage of those
2: launches, they weren't great. Yeah. Well, there's that. And then there's the, the, when in the first scene, when Neil first lands out in, at Edwards Air Force Base, and they give us the first, uh, sort of place and time set. And we're in an, an aerial or a, a, a looks like an aerial coming onto the crash scene. And the camera is literally, I mean, just all over the place with the words on the screen. I mean, that's a pet peeve of mine anyway. So if you're choosing to do that, to make it look bad on purpose. I just question the logic behind that. If if so, you're going too far for me from a camera perspective.
3: For me, the idea of not being able to gracefully follow a rocket when it's launching, if you're able to completely gracefully follow it in perfect frame, I think you're robbing it of its power. Because this is a monumental achievement, and this is ridiculous. We took a huge amount of fuel and rockets and strapped it to the bottom of a tin can. To be able to just sort of be able to gracefully follow that up, I think, takes away from—it's just a series of enormous, horrible explosions. (laughs) And so to not be able to follow that— I think that that actually gives it a little bit more like, yikes, there's there's not even a way to like really capture this moment because it's just too much power. That's a me. good point.
2: But it launched so slowly. Anyway, I, I don't even <laughs> pick it. I
3: think I think
2: you're right. But it, it was too much for me. They were they were trying sure. to be too authentic. And instead, it looked like it was just errors on purpose. So, yeah, I I totally hear what you're saying.
0: I will say the the costumes and and production design I thought was was really quite nice and you know obviously the NASA stuff they have a lot of um you know a lot of blueprint to follow right they they have the the standards and and uh, you know can can rebuild uh so many of the the features of NASA and mission control and And the spacesuits and all that stuff. But I I still think even with a a rich instruction set that they I have to imagine that they had, it all looked really good. Like it it felt it felt very real in the space. So I, I enjoyed it quite a bit credit to nathan crowley production design and mary zoffrey's leading costumes
2: the person that i saw the movie with uh, was disappointed that jan's hair didn't change over the course of seven years
0: (laughs) (laughs) didn't seem very accurate for the 60s i'm disappointed that they didn't get tom hanks to play jim lovell i thought that would have been awesome
2: (laughs) do a nice youthful recreation
3: this maybe belongs more in final thoughts but as i alluded to before this conversation has not turned me around about this movie but it has definitely hugely opened the door of this might be another your next for me in that it, it, that horror movie that I very hugely panned when we reviewed it and now I'm a huge fan of there's a really good chance that this movie that I went in with a certain type of feeling of what it should be and it wasn't that but it was so incredibly Strong and consistent in its vision that now that I know what it is, there's a really good chance that I will rewatch this movie and find a huge amount of more appreciation for it. And this conversation is part of that. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know.
2: I don't think it's changed for me in that I I, I guess I see the value in the film, and I, I was always looking to give it a big rating and, and a like. I just don't know how to tell people to go see this movie. I, I the, you know, talking about the the aspect, of, this seems like a movie that I would have watched in high school. It really does. It, it sounds like the you know talking about the history class thing. This
3: is what we would have watched after Glory. You know, this kind I'm- of thing. So. Bulled over by Pete, you saying that your kids loved it, because I would have thought that kids would have been bored, silly, and then wake up and then bored silly. So that's that actually gives it a lot more life for me. Yeah. If your kids. uh, Yeah, that's good to know, because JJ, why I said that, sorry, is I agree with you, is one of the first I mean, one of the first things that I thought about when someone asked me how it was, I said it was long. (laughs) <laughs> and that's a terrible I said sterile i think it's time i think I, I think it's time for
2: us to rank this
3: First man to take a walk on the moon seemed like a curse plan. If we go up too soon, a lunar crash land. Gossing so dead pan we must decide our own divide together. Men, we must defend our rank for first man. Very, <laughs> nice. Like Hamilton. Very nice. Hamilton. I yes. like Hamilton. i <laughs> the of Hamilton of there. the film board. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> weird.
2: Check the entire film board filmography ranked at flickchart.com slash TNR film board. When you get there, you can create a tournament style stack ranking of your own and see how your big screen program proclivities compared to ours who's got the keys to the kingdom where do we start first
0: man versus i'm in it first man versus the mummy first man
3: see this is hard because i already said like i think i'm gonna look no i guess i have to rank it as i feel now sure Yes. right you can do first
2: man versus the mummy come on
3: yes i can uh okay <laughs> weird the mummy <laughs> really oh what? remember i was the one that liked the mummy yeah. remember that's gonna oh, that's yeah. gonna be a, <laughs> a- no, this you is- all immediately <laughs> hate me a little bit more little all bit. right really like the
4: movie. Uh, no no this is this is first man i will say there are yeah i, di- I didn't all right
0: and first man, <laughs> man for me too first man versus fury first man fury oh fury the tank one, yeah. yes, Fury. Yeah, yes. I think uh, I think it's Fury for me too. All right, I'll just take all my votes. And- hey, he pulled out his own too. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, yeah. first man versus <laughs> Ant Man. Abstain. Oh, Ant Man.
2: I'm gonna say Ant Man as well. Right. Well, it's first Ant-Man's first man for well me, but me. okay.
0: Uh, first man versus Snowden man. First man. Abstain. God, it is so first man <laughs> really? for me. It's first man so, so first hard. Man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> me too.
4: Fine. Whatever. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> oh, nuts. Nuts. First man versus Captain America Winter Soldier. First man. Winter Soldier. Oh, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Congratulations. First man is now number 32 on our flick oh. chart. It comes just Ugh. after Avengers Age of Ultron, which weirdly we didn't okay. get to rate it against, and just before snowden so well done interesting uh i curious. out of what Did you, what's the total number uh 74 okay it's right in the middle oh, it's i think so that's cool. a little low it's slightly above halfway yeah. it is i will say we have y- you collectively according to this ranking have said that first man is better than the dark tower would you agree with that appropriately yes good all right yes <laughs> like chart works <laughs> yeah how about how about uh first,
2: <laughs> first so and the way that i've been talking about it even though that i didn't you know i had problems with it or i wasn't too energized by it i still think it's like a four-star movie for me and a like i just don't know how you know Tommy, you say you're gonna see it again i i don't think i will uh and i don't know who to say to go uh, to send to it so
0: so yeah if you're going by the algorithm for letterbox.com slash uh the next reel what what is your star
2: four four, four stars three. and a like
3: I would like to give it, my name is Tommy, and I would like to give it a three right down the middle because there's a good chance I'm going to change that to a four in a hypothetical future. And do you give it a like or no like? A heart or no heart?
0: Does your heart bleed for this one?
3: Right now? Yeah, no like. There was enough that was, I already said, was the Stone Cold Classics. Okay. Yes. Absolutely like. Tommy Thank Hart you. and Steve.
4: Yeah, stone cold, correct. Um, <laughs> see, my my, alg- my algorithm, I'm going to, I don't like the algorithm because it, it just, it's just, it's too it's too cold and calculating and it needs to, <laughs> so I'm going to give this, I'm going to go with two stars. My algorithm says I should only give it a half a star, but I think it, it is worth two stars. There are some sequences that, that do redeem this, but I'm giving it two stars and a, no, not right. like right. Well, now. I it's, give it it's,
0: a it's, hardcore five stars and a heart. And uh, that means that our average is three and a half stars with a
3: heart. Uh, And we are all over the place. C plus C plus that (laughs) algorithm. It's really the gosling of algorithms. Yes, it is.
4: (laughs) And I think you could say say the same
0: thing about about Neil Armstrong. He is kind of the gosling of astronauts after this movie. Yeah. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so
2: what's next where do we go from here we talked about it and thinking about november november is a really interesting month uh and we are kind of got our eyes on this interesting movie called the favorite spelled in the european way with a F-A-V-O-U-R-I-T-E that's by Yorgos Lanthimos which is a kind of favorite of us from the trailer rewind days he did the lobster so we've got our eyes on that but it's only openly limited so we may be doing that Thanksgiving weekend or you may be looking for a backup that's got a more wide release and there's a lot of good movies coming out in November Bohemian Rhapsody uh, a bunch of things that are going to hit so uh, look for more information from the film board about that Pete you and Andy on the Mothership Show what are you guys doing what what series are you in right now
0: well as of right now we just released our episode on uh, last thursday on uh, uh night of the living dead 1968 nice. we're still celebrating the films in 1968 and yes uh night of the living dead's a big favorite between us and uh this week that's right dawn of the dead 1978 it's exactly Ooh. 10 years later but three weeks in time uh and we pick up at a mall. <laughs> and uh i'm oh that one is yes, dynamite yeah yes dynamite I'm did very you guys put these
2: this. in October because it's October I don't whole, I don't uh,
0: I don't speak to any of that production scheduling that's all Andy so darn he's smart he's super smart about that he's, I love he it he sees around corners he's amazing yeah Give Andy some kudos. That's right. And if you didn't catch it when we
2: mentioned it earlier, we are all having loads of fun over on Discord. We gather with folks about a half an hour before every film board show to chat a bit about how much the movie shook us <laughs> in the right or wrong direction. Go to thenextreel.com for details <laughs> on how you can connect with us in that virtual green room. Thank you all so much for listening. We are looking forward to the next one. Say goodnight, Pete Wright. night, Pete Wright. See you soon, Tommy Handsome. See you soon! One more word? One more word from Steve Sarmento?
4: Honda.
3: Yeah! Yeah. At the next
2: reel, (laughs) when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next,
3: we did it!
0: Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It. Biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man.
1: And sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's
0: Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic.
1: It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories.
0: And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu.
1: That's right. thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's
0: family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to the slash originals and get your next read today.